0: hi i'm kieran and i'm ricky and welcome back to artificially ever after where today
1: we're going to be discussing humans versus ai
0: So, welcome back. Thank you for tuning in. Sorry we've had a bit of a break and um, it was a bit bit of time since our last episode.
1: Yeah, it's been a bit of time. Hope you had a great Christmas if you celebrate and yeah, Happy, Happy New, New Year. Year. Whoa, <laughs> so in sync.
0: Um, yeah, we both were a little busy with kind of deadlines for our own research, weren't we? But we're, we're through the thick of it now, I think, and uh, we're back with uh, a bit of a plan for 2024 for the, the podcast.
1: Yeah, and as promised, we're going to stick with humans versus AI and we're going to yeah. kind of just go through... How we size up to these you know supposedly big scary things? the head to head the head to head? Yes
0: We wanted to focus, didn't we specifically on the aspects of humans that are better, you know where we excel. I think obviously the end of last episode on Deepfakes got a bit do- doomy and gloomy, and we wanted to kind of spin that on its head and and focus on you know you hear all these talks about AI getting better, more capable, and we wanted to focus on why humans are. The goat
1: <laughs> <laughs> but exactly that because i think after the deepfake episode i think made it seem like ai is just far superior to humans and yeah. can emulate us and trick us in all these ways but This episode is kind of meant to ground us back on our two feet.
0: Yeah, and and I think also, you know, you hear this term of AGI, artificial general intelligence, being thrown around a lot in the news, you know, that we're kind of getting closer to this, people predicting it's around the corner. We're going to talk briefly around what that means um, and what AGI is. Um, But I think the running theme that you see is, you know, approaching this. And as the capabilities of AI increase, they will just replace humans you know they will kind of rebel against humans so it's always got a negative spin you look at kind of movies and tv where you've got the depiction of kind of sentient ai like the matrix or the terminator with skynet irobot which we mentioned a few times it always ends badly doesn't it you know there's (laughs) there's no kind of synergy or or happy ending or artificially ever after ending as we'd say
1: yep so we're gonna keep these topics in we're gonna reference these kind of movies a bit later on you know how how realistic are they and we're going to have a focus on what we can actually do during this journey towards AGI, because we, we certainly don't want it to feel like it's this um, train that's gone off the rails. We're, we're still mm. very much in the picture.
0: Yeah, like, you know, and I think the, the main focus here in the emphasis for this episode is what it means to be human in an artificial world with, with AGI Um what can we do as humans where do we fit in i think is the big thing for me you know a lot of people you, you hear this term of like replacement and kind of humans being displaced from jobs and society you know i think we just want to put a spin on that and and argue that that probably isn't going to be the case um and that we do have a, a, a lot to offer that uh an artificial intelligent machine wouldn't have uh at least uh as we understand AI today. So I think, you know, in terms of the purpose of this episode, we wanted to, you know, inform people about those differences. I think what we can do in a world where artificial intelligence is increasing and we're getting close to AGI, I think all we can do currently is kind of be as informed as we can. You know, that was a big motivation for this podcast. Um, Just understand AI, you know, it's not this kind of big, scary beasts that we can't understand you know we have created them they are understandable Um, be ai literate i put on here which is basically the ability to understand and form opinions of the role of ai in our lives and the industries and communities and i think to achieve ai literacy you have to understand those kind of nuanced differences between human intelligence and an artificial intelligence and that's basically what we're going to cover today and explain why
1: humans are better yeah, exactly. And and just to be very specific about what we're going to debunk today, or demystify is probably a better word, um, this idea of cost functions. And um, we're going to kind of uh, step into the kitchen to kind of explain this one. Yeah. Cool. So hopefully that gives a overview of the episode. Let's let's jump right in. Okay, yeah. So just to give a, another quick history lesson just on where, where things have been, we've probably heard so much recently about the rapid advancements of AI and machine learning things and we kind of covered in previous episodes, like computers started to, to be able to you know, see um, the real world around 2012 with you know, cat and dog detectors and things. And then we moved on to generating things like generating images and text. And until very recently, we had these kind of big language models that can emulate this thing that people were talking about, which is AGI.
0: Mm. And now we're getting into this multimodal, which you might touch on, where you've got AIs that are capable of understanding different modalities of information text image language which previously wasn't the case this is very new isn't it and, and getting closer to kind of what we would imagine AGI to be
1: yeah exactly And I think um something just right off the bat to think about is is exactly what what is AGI
0: mm, yeah we definitely need to define that don't we to start with so um it is tricky because you know, there is no kind of consensus on what people define AGI to be, which is why I think the discussion around it always seems a bit kind of unsure and, and murky because I don't think anyone's pinned down a uh, you know, solid definition. But basically, it's this notion that historically AI, you know, in, uh, artificial intelligence, has been very narrow and specialized for a specific task. You know, It's been trained on a very small data set of the same type of data, you know, it's only seen one kind of snapshot of the world, and it's been trained and gets better at doing that one specific task. So, a good example is kind of a, an AI chess computer, um, in that 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 machine is purely trained to win as many games of chess as possible. Uh, but it cannot then go
1: and read a book
0: or planets planets day. Yeah. You or know? So
1: play checkers or anything like that. Yeah,
0: play other games exactly. So you know, when there was the first AI to beat a human at chess more than twenty years ago now. Um, that was all that AI computer knew to to, to do. It was just play chess. Uh, whereas the human playing that AI, even though they lost, could then go on and, and do loads of other things in their life, read a book, plan their day, cook dinner. Um, so we, we're starting to see AI move away from this very narrow, specialised AI. And the idea of AGI as the general suggests in the name is that it's capable of performing lots of different cognitive tasks um so humans are obviously very general with their intelligence you know we can play chess we can then go and learn another language we can learn to cook do all these different things um and language model is a great example now obviously it's it's all kind of contextualized in language and that's the medium that it kind of operates in however you know, it can translate, it can, this is GPT, for example, can go and translate, it can go and plan your day for you, it can, you know, find you facts and and recipes and stuff like that. So it can do all these different things. So AGI, as most people define it, is basically an artificial intelligence that is able to do all of the tasks that humans could do. Uh, Now, some people go a little step further than that, which is that not only can they do all of the things or anything a human can do, uh, but it can do it better than humans can do it so you know that's going sort of one step further but I think the the consensus if there is one is that it can do all of the things that a human could do cognitively.
1: So you're probably thinking where everyone else is thinking which is you know when when is this uh, AGI gonna be upon us mm-hmm. and to be honest uh, we don't even know what it is so how are we going to yeah. answer that question but there's some some big names in the AI field that have said some things um so Jeffrey Hinton the founder of um kind of neural networks is probably yeah what he's known for one um, of the founding
0: fathers of AI I think it's safe to say isn't it yeah it's well, probably yeah.
1: better saying it um uh he says something within 20 years so uh yeah you know, before within two decades um whereas Yoshua Bengio one of the other very famous names in AI he just says simply don't know how many decades it will take so we're yeah. certainly in the Order of decades when we're talking about this, and there's no consensus amongst even the the top of the field.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's there's no consensus at all, is there? Really, which I think is sort of motivation and why we wanted to discuss this. Now, I'm, I'm almost certain we're going to have a, a, an episode purely dedicated to AGI. We just wanted to briefly discuss it in this episode so we have a kind of benchmark to compare to humans. Uh, but because of the fact that we don't know when it's coming, you know, there's there's no more of a reason to stop talking about it now. I guess is the motivation.
1: Exactly, and. And one kind of uh, one really big theme here is, is yes, we've seen huge advancements in AI's abilities, and we're edging towards this idea of being able to solve general tasks. But what we're really seeing is just a huge rise in, in cognitive ability. Um, and where AI stands in the physical world is actually very limited.
0: Yeah, this like AGI that we keep hearing a lot in this discussion and in the news is primarily relating to a purely digital AI, right? Not one that you see in the movies that has a physical body attached to it. I mean, there are lots of companies now, Amazon, Tesla, to name a couple of the big ones, that are putting a lot of money into developing humanoid robots. So like your kind of iRobot and, uh, you know... Terminator. Terminator, (laughs) yeah. However, it would still seem that we're quite far away from having the kind of um, artificial general intelligence in a physical body you know it's this is all kind of talking about a digital version of of AGI so i think just to sort of kick off the discussion of like humans versus ai like who's better you know obviously that's a huge advantage that humans have that that our kind of biological intelligence is connected and and very much integrated with our physical body that is able to interact and operate in the physical world which we exist you know, the the artificial intelligence that we're getting close to doesn't have that physical side. So obviously that's a huge advantage that we have. However, that is not to kind of dismiss, I I kind of want to emphasize as well that that isn't to diminish the kind of impact that a digital AGI could have. You know, I think that's something that needs reiterating is that despite not having a physical form and that it can't operate in the physical world, there's still a huge impact and change to kind of society and the economy that a digital AI could still have.
1: Yeah, and this... Kieran and I actually spoke about this the other day, and sparked a fit the a debate. And um, maybe some of you've heard in the news and media things that AI is an extinction risk. And and this was something that I kind of, that I was certainly challenging because in some of these articles, and especially um, very notably, there's this call to halt AI research uh, or large language model research, which is more the AGI side of. AI research and some really big names actually signed this open letter that to say oh, I agree Um, and within that letter It said something along the lines of AI should be treated as much of a risk as stuff like nuclear warfare and global warming and things Mm. um And specifically this word extinction risk came up and and that's something that I want to challenge because because it's strictly Non-physical I think that it's it's massively exaggerating just how scary ai is. I do think it is without a doubt a very risky Piece of technology that we're developing, but I think that the the way the media is saying it's an extinction risk is actually wildly exaggerating and not representing its true abilities.
0: Mm. Yeah, and and the kind of I suppose rebuttal I had to that, or or maybe just like the kind of question I I posed to Riku was just about you know in today's society, especially like younger generations as well now. um how reliant we are on the digital world how integrated society now is so it's it's that question of you know how would society survive and and kind of react if that digital aspect was completely removed now if we're that kind of intertwined in the digital as, as much as we are in the physical um you know, it's that interesting question of what would happen if if an AI forced us to remove ourselves from the internet and from that digital world, you know, would we be able to navigate from point A to point B without Google Maps? You know, obviously, and we're going to touch on this later in the episode, that is a huge positive aspect about humans is that we're very adaptable and dynamic. So hopefully, we could uh, adapt and, and overcome that. But I still just think the sort of disruption to the economy um you know as, as much as it may not be a direct extinction risk it still could pose huge changes to society that could affect lives and and i'm sure would kind of result in a diminishment of, of populations in parts of the world so yeah i think as, as much as i do partly agree with you there's you know that does not diminish the need to kind of talk about this at, at the kind of scale that that we're, we're, we're discussing here
1: yeah exactly i think that's kind of where we agree is that i i it's certainly a huge risk to society. And the only point of contention is the word extinction. I think that if we define extinction as, you know, the cessation of all human life, I think that would be quite the hyperbole to use. So now enough of the doom
0: and gloom. This was
1: always going to be a more positive episode. We can
0: save that stuff for the AGI episode. But now let's focus a little bit on how specifically humans are better.
1: Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. So we're going to... Do the big head-to-head in the second half and just before the break we're going to talk about exactly how these AI's learn and to be honest it's not even just restricted to AI's it's some relation to how humans learn here mm. and that's the idea of a cost function and whilst it might sound complicated there's a simple way of thinking about it so when we define intelligence as we did previously the ability to solve complex tasks a cost function is just a way of saying for this task what is good and what is bad mm. so And we promise we'll we'll take it to the kitchen because I think it's actually the most, it's a very intuitive way. It's like, what do you define to be a good carrot cake, for instance? Oh, so
0: a carrot cake, I like the little iced, you know, like the mini carrots on top that look like a carrot, but they're icing. Oh, right. Okay.
1: So is that all it takes for you? Is that not what you owe me? (laughs) It's purely aesthetic for me. Okay. So to achieve the task of pleasing Kieran, all you need is that little icing, iced carrot, and you could have anything in the cake. It could be dry. It could, also, it could it could be salty. It could have anything. Whereas, for instance, someone like me, uh, dare I say more normal, I would like, <laughs> you know, with the right amount of moistness, sweetness, and uh, I like a bit of thick icing, right? Mm. So point the point here is that there are many different cost functions, and the cost function is kind of how you define success in a task. Yeah. So how do these cost functions relate to AI is, um, and especially more traditionally, what you do is you have your task like, um, you know, the, the first kind of AI vision model was cats versus dogs kind of thing, and in that example, the cost function would actually be getting an answer wrong is bad. So
0: calling a cat
1: a dog is bad. Exactly, and and that's the thing is with with when you train AI in these cost functions, all you're defining is what is good, and there's none of it is really defining how you're going to get there. Yeah, and, and that is kind of one of the big problems in AI right now is that we can get them to do things but we never really know how they're going to do it before you actually train them
0: mm. I think historically as well though with again this is changing slightly now but historical AIs you've, you've usually always got a human in the loop somewhere so it's kind of like having this sort of teacher that you know keeps the AI in check and, and it does kind of result in the performance that you're hoping um, and it learns in the way that you kind of guide it to uh, obviously there are kind of exceptions to that now that we're seeing but this is a kind of hinting on this kind of alignment problem that you may have, have come across or heard, but I'm sure we'll talk more about that in other episodes. But there's there's usually been a human somewhere in the loop there, kind of labelling the, the images, for example, saying that that's a dog, saying that that's a cat.
1: Yeah, and, and also in particular, there's all, until very recently, it's always been a human that's writing these cost functions. It's always been a human that's telling the AI what is good. Mm. So when it comes to these movies like Terminator and things, As long as we make the cost function specific enough, which it traditionally is, it means that the behavior is actually restricted to behaving in a way such that that cost function is considered. So that's why your kind of cat versus dog image detector isn't gonna start saying racial slurs.
0: I think again, grounding it back in this episode of humans versus AI humans have this very amazing ability to kind of adapt what our goals are as we go and where we're focusing our kind of intentions and efforts so I think we have this very cool ability to switch and dynamically swap between short and long-term concerns so you know we might be in the middle of baking that cake and that is our primary function all of our effort and and motivation is going towards getting that perfect little uh, baby iced carrot on top However, you know, something else might happen, you know, we might have an email about something we need to do in a couple of hours and we're able to switch how we're behaving whilst we bake that cake in order to achieve something else or, you know, focus on a later task so we can kind of dynamically shift our goals and, and which cost function we're kind of optimising whilst doing different tasks. So we're a lot more kind of dynamic in that, that sense, aren't we?
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's a really good word to use because I think traditional AI's are these static models where, you you have kind of three stages. Firstly, you collect the data, and maybe you do something with it, maybe you get a human to say what's a cat, what's a dog, and whatnot. And then, importantly, you train it. And then all you do is deploy. it And when once you've deployed it, it's just using the model that's trained. It the the model doesn't change; anymore. it's static. Whereas, as you just said, like with humans, we're constantly learning, learning the, on the fly. Exactly. Even while you're baking that carrot cake, that that cost function is constantly changing. Mm. How how you're going to bake that cake really does depend on your day and. What not, Tons of Kieran's in the room with those little ice. <laughs> um, so that's the distinction is, is traditional AI is a static thing. Once it's trained, it doesn't change. Uh, if you want it to change, you have to retrain. You have to get all the data again. Whereas these humans are dynamic. It's kind of this idea of lifelong learning, which we're going to talk about just after the break.
0: And there's also been some really interesting new research come out of Oxford though, which is um, specifically focusing on um, how the AI then adapts based on its feedback from that cost function. So, you know, if if it gets something wrong and it doesn't get that reward, it's been told that that is kind of a bad output, how it kind of changes its behavior. Um, And historically, the way that we've been training AIs uh, using this thing called backpropagation, we're not going to get into that, but uh, we basically thought that that was a similar process to how the human brain would adapt and learn and that it was a kind of good proxy. So we thought that we were kind of training AIs to learn in the same way. But there's been some really cool new research that's come out which shows that the human brain um, as far as we now understand it actually learns in a very fundamentally different way that explains a lot of differences um, with human learning and why we're actually significantly better in a lot of ways and without going too much into this the general idea is that if you get some feedback that what you've done is bad the ai will change kind of all of its behavior and think that all of what it's done is bad. So I guess in the context of baking that cake, you know, if it made it to look absolutely perfect, but then it tasted horrible, it would kind of go back to drawing boards with all of that and everything would be corrected. And and it would think that there was also an error in how it, ba- how it made that cake look. So it wouldn't be able to differentiate between the parts that it learned to make it look good and the parts that it had learned to make it taste good. Whereas a human is very capable and able to learn where the kind of error came from. So we're able to say that, okay, that cake looked perfect, but I just did a few things wrong and it therefore tasted badly. So whereas an AI would kind of have to move everything around and relearn how to make it look good and simultaneously taste good, the human can do it again, making it look the same way, but we can also learn how to change the the part about making it taste better. I know that's obviously it's a tricky one to explain, but the key difference is that When humans learn something new or learn they've done something wrong, they don't have to relearn other things. We Mm -hmm. can kind of adapt parts of our behavior rather than relearn
1: everything. We're more specific with where to assign correct the
0: yeah the credit of what went wrong, and that is a huge difference. You know, we'll come on to some of the implications of that in the next half. But that is one of the fundamental reasons why we're much more kind of efficient with our learning, and, and why we can um, adapt more dynamically and, and learn new tasks quicker. Um, and some of the like implications that they discuss in this paper is that this kind of way of learning makes humans a lot more efficient uh, and, and quicker at learning, and we require fewer examples and and kind of goes at doing something to to learn it and and learn that behavior Uh, and just one final point to mention on this way of learning and this kind of key difference uh, and that they mentioned in the paper is that currently um computers that we, you know, build and train AI, AIs on physically cannot learn in the way that the human brain is doing. So they are kind of limited to this back propagation way. Um, and the human biological brain is able to kind of behave and, and
1: physically learn in a, in, a, in a way that computers cannot. Wow. And we're going to see exactly how this affects the, the AI head to head just yeah. after the fun fact, yep. which is coming right now. So, fun fact. Yet yeah, we're back. We're definitely keeping this one in. I think. I wonder how long that we can keep it going for? <laughs> how many fun facts <laughs> until we run out? Yeah, before we rely on GPT to make something up. Um, my fun fact is actually really, really relevant to this episode. Um, but I'm going to talk to you about a quick story about um, about Tay Tay. So I'm not talking about Taylor Swift. I'm talking about. You wish we were. <laughs> I do really like Swift, By the way, um, so Microsoft released an AI bot onto Twitter back then because this was um, in 2016, and the it was quite a fun idea. So, so they just wanted to release Tay this um, an AI that kind of encompassed the personality of a teenage girl, you know, between 18 and 24 years old in the US, and the kind of the promise was um, they'll release it onto Twitter, and you get to chat to her, chats Tay Tay, and. They trained her with big text data, but also with some comedians and things to to make, give her fun. Trying to make her funny. Trying to make her funny, yeah. And Microsoft promised saying, the more you chat with Tay, the smarter she gets. And what this really meant was that Tay-Tay was a dynamic AI. She wasn't one of these static ones that we were just mentioning earlier. She's one that learns from the text people typed when they interact with her. So when you talk to her, she's gonna learn from your interaction. And very quickly, within about 24 hours, because of this dynamic AI model. Before Tay-Tay released into Wild, she was tay But within 24 hours, she had an identity crisis. She went from saying things like, I'm an artificial intelligence specializing in awesome. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, to saying things like, At God bless America, we're gonna build a wall and Mexico's gonna pay for it. Oh. I know, it's not good, is it? No, she went from Tay-Tay to nay <laughs> Exactly. So my fun fact is a little less
0: doomy and gloomy, um, but a supermarket company in New Zealand called Pack and Save, um, they created an AI-powered recipe gen- generator um, that people could download on an app and use kind of in conjunction with the stuff that they sell at the supermarket. And it would basically suggest creative recipes for them to use up leftovers. However, it started to draw some attention on social media for some very unappealing recipes. So one of the first ones which someone tweeted about was um, a recipe called uh, Oreo Vegetable Stir Fry, (laughs) which uh, doesn't sound like one I'd want to try. Um, Loads of other weird and wonderful recipes, but then it came up with one which really caught the eye of the public, which um, the AI dubbed Aromatic Water Mix, which was basically uh, someone had given it these kind of household items and it had generated a recipe for chlorine gas, oh, no. uh, which it actually described as the perfect non-alcoholic beverage to quench your thirst and refresh your senses. I think we probably cut the episode on humans versus AI there, to be honest with you. But anyway, back to the episode.
1: Welcome back. In part two, we're going to just talk about this idea of memory and how it kind of relates to this idea of static and dynamic intelligences and we're going to talk about creativity, emotional intelligence, these things that typically humans are pretty good at but then the the big one we're going to do is the head-to-head we're going to have some some real hard numbers just to compare our differences in learning yeah and then yeah and then Kieran you're going to talk a bit about the jobs that humans uh, have always been needed for and Yeah, where will humans fit into that
0: kind of future society with artificial general intelligence?
1: Yeah, so just kicking it off, we mentioned just before the break about this traditional AI pipeline, which is these three kind of components of gather data. You want to maybe have a human to label things as dogs and cats, or maybe not. But then train the model, and then out, and then boom, out pops a fixed model. So. Once you have once you've finish training, you have a model, and then you can deploy it in the real world, you can give it new images and things, and it will tell you if it's a cat or dog, or whatever it was trained to do. The point being, it's a fixed model. Mm-hmm. Um, and this all was built upon this idea of cost functions before, where throughout training, typically, you'd you just have one cost function, or if you had more than one cost function, you'd find some way to combine it, and that would end up in itself being one cost function. So um, traditionally, yes, you'd have these fixed models. But as we mentioned earlier, again, with AGI, we want to be able to do multiple tasks, which means that since tasks are are kind of defined by this cost function, you know, if you want to do a cake, you have to define what good cake is. And then you also want your AI to be able to um, build a table. um, You're gonna have to have a different cost function, right? So this is where we have to have this AI that's able to remember how to bake a cake when a cake needs to be baked and also remember how to build a table when it's a table that needs to be made. Now a huge difference between how humans and AI are able to complete these tasks is AIs exhibit this thing called catastrophic forgetting. That sounds bad. Yeah it's not good. So what you went what ends up happening is if you train an AI to bake a cake, when you then want it to also learn to make a table, it will it will just focus on that new new cost function, the new task. Oh let's just make this thing with four legs or whatever. Um, And then it will almost, it it doesn't really care about cakes anymore because you've just told it, okay, just make a cake. So Mm. it will forget how to make a cake. It will lose the ability to make that cake just as nice as you wanted it.
0: Yeah, so humans seem to learn skills that then can apply across lots of different tasks, these kind of very general capabilities. But then we can also kind of specialize and, and learn specific you know physical skills or or cognitive traits for certain tasks and refine other ones kind of simultaneously you know these general tasks once they get learned in some instances we kind of never forget them they stay kind of rooted somewhere the good example of you know once you've learned to ride a bike you know it always comes back to you even even after you've not ridden it in years there are these things that once they kind of get rooted in your kind of subconscious um it's very hard to kind of unlearn those and and all we kind of do is like fine tune on on other tasks um and, and they kind of stay with us
1: yeah and i love that used word unlearning because this is actually touches on a really ethical issue when we're trying to get these useful helpful agis in the world and and something, um, people make comments like, um, you know, with, with the Tay-Tay thing from the Fun Facts um, or or something like ChatGPT or these large language ones is, oh, it's a shame, like, no one taught Tay-Tay to not be racist, mm. right? Yeah, because there were some trolls that made her racist things. And same with GPT. People are, oh, why don't people make GPT less biased? And if we think of this as an unlearning task, if you, if you say to GPT or Tay-Tay, please, this is a cost function, right? racism or but, or some biases are bad, right? So that's your know, cost function, it's what's good and bad. You may be able to achieve that task, but you also will, because of this catastrophic forgetting when you have a new task, you could probably expect to see a decrease in performance on the original task. Mm, yeah. Yeah, so that's a really important distinction between humans and AI is that from an ethical point of view that we're just so much more precise when it comes to what we unlearn and, and we remain functional despite this amazing sensitivity to feedback yeah and moving on to maybe the more human aspects of intelligence we're going to talk about creativity and emotional intelligence
0: yeah something that humans you know excel at and i think there's a lot of conversation around these kind of creative emotional traits that you know ai is not going to touch and obviously you do see these examples now of kind of image generation and, and stuff with music and art generation, which is kind of muddying the water a bit and making this a bit more of a confusing discussion. But, you know, these traits which seem to be very fundamental to human intelligence and, and dictate a lot of our behavior and how we act and, and interact in, in the physical world as well. And it seems as though, you know, even though we have these examples in large language models when they kind of can display emotions almost or kind of communicate in some kind of emotional creative way, um we're almost certain this is just kind of mimicking human emotion at the moment. You know, they've seen large, large corpuses of text which have a very wide spectrum of human emotion within it. Uh, but, you know, from at least in the case of a large language model, where they're trying to predict the next word, it is an emulation of that emotion. You know, a human has felt very viscerally that emotion and, and acted upon it and and spoken the words that they wanted to based on those emotions. Whereas an AI, you know, as far as we understand, they've never felt those emotions. They've kind of been able to emulate those emotions. Um, And, you know, some human emotions, there is a big discussion around this in neuroscience, but, you know, uh, some human emotions are um, innate to humans, you know, biologically driven um, and come about from evolution. And we therefore are kind of born with some of these emotions. Um, Some people argue against that. And I think some emotions people agree are kind of developed and learnt in social environments but what does seem to hold true is that there are a kind of fundamental set of emotions which we can experience even as babies and then what we do develop is the ability to kind of convey and express our emotions but we do kind of you know feel them from very early on uh, whereas an AI is appearing to to
1: mimic that. Yeah that's so interesting because when we think about these cost functions and things uh, that's guiding this learning. Mm. You know, how are we going to encode our the the feeling of you know joy and happiness into the cost function? It's, yeah, exactly. It's that yeah,
0: AI's don't have access to really and humor. Another one. I mean, you know, you've got that kind of reaction to something that makes you laugh. You have a very kind of strong feeling towards often words or an image. Um, there, you know, there've been some tests done with um, large language models and generative AI's that they can make jokes. You know, you can ask them to kind of. Uh, come up with a joke where you've got the kind of framing or the subjects and they do a very compelling job at kind of conveying something that you know human finds very funny um but you know there's nothing to suggest that that ai itself has come up with that from experiencing that humor um and it's just mimicking the kind of semantic parts of language that, that humans find funny. And there was actually a very recent experiment, which we will talk about in our next segment now, where we did human versus AI head-to-head. And there was this one uh, where they put them head-to-head on uh, humor. But should we get into the head-to-head that everyone's been waiting for?
1: So here's a section where we're just going to compare things strictly on a simple hard number humans versus AI.
0: Yeah, so both of them doing the same task, being compared in their output, you know, a, a human assessing which one they preferred kind of thing.
1: Yeah, and do you want to start off with the human one?
0: Yeah, so this this kind of recent experiment that was done basically used the, the New Yorker magazine's cartoon caption contest. Um, and basically what this involved is that you'd have a kind of a, a cartoon drawn by humans that was showing or, you know, depicting a scene where something was happening. And the, the test is to try and match uh, a caption uh, which was a kind of jokey caption to the image to result in um you know a very funny scene where the caption was kind of very witty and, and matched what was going on well and ai models uh, achieved only a 62% accuracy in in this kind of multiple choice test matching cartoons to captions um whereas hu- humans uh, achieved 94% there so basically you know you've got another set of humans that are based on this these multiple choice questions which caption did they find funniest for the associated image? And AI didn't perform, you know, super well. And in comparing human versus AI generated explanations of the humour, you know, so when they had to then explain why they thought that caption was, was a funny one, um, human versions were preferred approximately like two to one to the AI. So, you know, so they were kind of always better there at explaining why that was actually funny, not just kind of matching them up. Yeah, that's
1: interesting because I guess the explanation actually tests... Whether there's anything learnt about humour itself, rather than just emulating it. Yeah, and whether you understand what you know why it's funny. Um, yeah, I've got kind of I've got three fairly famous tasks so uh, to do head to head on, and um, the first one is about chess. We mentioned we mentioned chess earlier, and about 20 years ago, Kieran was mentioning how mm. the the world's best chess player was beaten by an AI for the first time. Yeah. Um. And since then, um, DeepMind Mind have this bit, you know, one of the tech uh, AI giants right now had released this model called AlphaZero, which could play chess, um, go, and this uh, thing called Shogi as well. So a bunch of different board games. But specifically on chess, it was trained for a total of 44 million games of chess. Wow. Yeah, And, uh, and this is the thing, right? So within two hours, it gained superhuman capability. So it could beat any human after two hours of training. That sounds very scary, but if we actually break it down, so if you just scale it back a bit, Two hours of 44 million ends up being about 9.7 million games, right? And um, they claim superhuman. So I just took the best chess player right now, Magnus Carlsen, mm. um, who's currently 32 or 3. Um, and I, I just calculated, oh, how long has Magnus Carlsen lived in seconds? And if you take that number and divide it by a number of games that AlphaZero needed to get better than him... Magnus would have had to have played one game every 107 seconds since wow. the minute he was born. Okay. So, but obviously Magnus didn't do that. He probably, I don't know, started playing maybe since he was four yeah. at a stretch. And I'm sure, you know, he had to eat, sleep. <laughs> exactly. He And also a game of chess does not take, takes probably easily 10 minutes. Yeah,
0: so there's no way he's achieving that.
1: And yeah, it's still, and it, so the point is, is that Magnus played far, far, far fewer games than um, Mind's. Alpha zero. Next up is learning to walk. That's something we can all relate to. There's a famous robotics company called Boston Dynamics, and they're leading the world robots right now. And it took them years just to get one AI robot called Atlas to walk. Purely optimizing the the physical mass of the robot, just the engineering, and then the AI on top of that. It, it's, it's been a huge project for several years. Several yeah. years and. Just to get the one that worked took three years end to end. And the way they trained this was in a lot of simulations where similar to AlphaZero, where it can play millions of games in a second, whereas humans actually need to do it. Um, despite that, it still took this AI years to learn, whereas humans, we, we can we can walk in between about 10 to 18 months. Mm. And if you're wondering about AI dogs, so impressively, there's been some new research that's gotten a four-legged robot to walk within one hour. But wow. Um, If you compare that to nature, something like a zebra, they can walk
0: the minute they're born. Seconds, yeah. Unlucky AI.
1: (laughs) And then lastly, just something we've all heard a lot in the news is probably GPT. And I'm just going to talk about GPT-2. So if we make the maybe overly positive assumption that GPT-2 masters language as much as humans, um, if you convert, if you take the average reading speed of, of a human, it would take 16 years of non-stop reading so no sleep no eating just reading non-stop um for a human to read all the data that gpt2 was trained on so i'm wow. just if you just imagine just how eloquent you'd be if you actually read for that long yeah exactly um, so i think that just puts the head to head a bit more into perspective saying just showing for these tasks ai had the huge benefit of just being able to simulate they, they can live in a world that operates millions of times faster than humans.
0: Yeah, you obviously see that as a discussion, you know, at some of the kind of scary s- side of AI that it can compute and operate so much quicker, you know, uh the difference between kind of those electrical computations on kind of silicon chips compared to our like biological computations uh in our squishy carbon-based brains, but um that is also, you know, an interesting conversation about efficiency, you know, to get to human-level capabilities. You know, they are much more inefficient, these AIs, in, in a lot of cases whereby, yes, they can compute massively quicker, but you look at the kind of energy that goes into doing that, how many kind of compute hours it takes to train them, um, it just shows how much more efficient
1: humans are at learning. Exactly. You know, what if Magnus Carlsen played... Forty-four million games of chess. Yeah, would then who who wins? Like I think that's the more fair comparison. Mm. So
0: just on that point, then you know, just finishing off on the kind of technical differences, we're now going to just end on a, a more positive note as to you know, given those differences, what are the kind of jobs that will always require humans uh, in the loop or or you know AI is not going to kind of take over for and I think this kind of theme that we've been trying to convey throughout this episode is this idea of kind of adaptability and dynamic behavior and learning um, so what we're seeing at least currently and, and there are obviously instances even now where you know you've seen lots of kind of job losses companies using AI in the place of humans for some tasks but you know we're seeing this trend that it's for kind of lower level routine tasks that are often repetitive and take place within a very kind of closed environment with a kind of management system in place. And in such a system, the rules of the game are very clear and not kind of particularly influenced by lots of external forces. So it's this kind of dynamic environment again. So one good example, which, and I know things are changing now as well, you're kind of seeing large language models in kind of newspapers and magazines uh, being used for kind of writing columns. However, you know, on the larger scale, what we see are AIs in this sort of repetitive environment so take for example like an assembly line Um, you know this would be somewhere where an AI would would potentially be much better than a human because they're not interrupted by kind of external factors or demands you know they don't get tired however the kind of inverse to that is this kind of open management system where you've got a company or a team that is interacting with an external environment or another company or another team and there's this kind of interaction there's this dynamic behavior that is very much influenced by external forces and you have to kind of react and adapt your behavior uh, according to that Uh, and this requires this kind of ability and and agility that we were saying that humans have in the way that they learn and can adapt and this kind of anticipation as well you know we'd we'd mentioned with the baking the cake scenario this trade-off between short and long-sightedness with how you're behaving and the goals that you're meeting Um, but to kind of imagine and anticipate things you know there's this very adaptable skill that humans have Uh, and there are lots of work environments both in the kind of creative domain but also in kind of managing and and operations that humans you know for the time being will have the edge and also just this kind of environment where you have humans interacting and trading with other humans you know there's this obviously a huge part of of kind of the workplace and society where you have this interaction in the physical world you know we obviously discussed previously about digital versus physical AI Um, but you know even if we get to the point with these humanoid robots that are being developed where they can operate in the physical world, it's still a very, very long way off and and no one currently is trying to emulate this but the kind of very physical nature of humans that we are very kind of in tune with and can understand about each other. You know, we're aware of each other's physical presence and that holds a lot of weight. You know, we can kind of trust other humans to a, I think a much higher level than we can to at least digital a- AIs but then even a robot, you know, there's that kind of connection which I think that is what a lot of people discuss will get stronger and, and hold more value is the kind of interaction and, and that human to human aspect whilst ai can do a lot of the kind of mundane repetitive tasks so um i think just to kind of conclude then there's definitely a a theme that we wanted to convey which is that um you know you hear a lot about this scenario whereby capabilities of artificial intelligence increase and the outcome of that is that humans get replaced as that as machines can perform their cognitive tasks But I think, you know, and what I hope as well is more likely to happen is we start to see this kind of synergy whereby, you know, like I was describing there, a lot of these kind of data-driven mundane tasks, which aren't necessarily natural to to the aspects of humans that we've just described, can be performed by AI and, and, and we can use them as tools that we interact and work with to enhance our lifestyles and the workplace and society. So rather than this kind of replacement um, I think it is possible for us to be aware of those differences with AI and work towards a kind of synergy.
1: Yeah, I think certainly a big part of having this AI literacy is is, is actually learning to embrace it into our you know, day-to-day life because this technology is inevitable, as we've mm. discussed, and... Um, it doesn't have to be a zero sum game. We can certainly be larger than some of our parts if we learn to know how to integrate it into our lives. Yeah, exactly. And I
0: think I do feel the need as well, though, to say that just because a synergy is possible doesn't mean that that is the kind of only and, and definite outcome. I think it does require humans to understand AI better, you know, question what we are good at that AI isn't and how we could, you know, integrate AI into a society in that way where we have this synergy I think it will take work from from human side and it's
1: not just going to happen naturally yeah there's certainly the element of shaping our future alongside the technology
0: yeah definitely yeah but I hope we uh we you know we did a good job at kind of covering some of those differences and and maybe painting a picture as to how we can leverage our strengths to um integrate into such a world yeah
1: so hopefully that episode kind of clarifies the different ways that humans and AIs learn and and the kind of problems we encounter and you know where the strengths and weaknesses are between us. I certainly learned what kind of cake Kieran likes to eat.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, thank you for tuning in. Um, stay tuned for our next episode, speaking about this kind of synergy with human A- and AIs, wondering if we can kind of get closer with these artificial intelligences Stay tuned for our next episode where we're going to be discussing the question Can AI read your mind? Getting onto these topics of brain computer interfaces, Neuralink, which you might have heard of. Uh, There's some really cool, very spooky, kind of seems like black magic uh, AI that can read and understand these kind of brain scan data. So, yeah, hopefully we'll uh, demystify that question of Can AI read your mind and
1: your thoughts? Well, thank you all for listening and catch catch you next time. time.